the best of the week on Relevant Radio. This is a really interesting question. Are Satan's 100 years up? Now, what am I talking about there? Read an interesting piece on this by Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, who's a noted exorcist. He's written a lot about it. He's been on Relevant Radio many times talking about it. And he has online his exorcist diary entries, which are really interesting to read. And not too long ago, he asked that question, are Satan's 100 years up? And this is sort of um, a reference to something that happened, of course, in 1884. It's been more than 100 years, but uh, we're being we're rounding our numbers here quite a bit. On October the 13th, 1884, Pope Leo XIII, just after celebrating Mass, you guys all know the story, he turned very pale, collapsed as if he were dead. Uh, they just said he looked ashen as if he had seen a ghost. Well, he saw something much worse than that. They rushed to his side, his, his, um, his priestly companions. They found him alive, but the Pope looked extremely scared, terrified. He told them that he'd had a vision of Satan approaching the throne of God, boasting that he, Satan, could destroy the church. And according to Pope Leo XIII, the Lord said to him, look, don't forget, Satan, you know, the church is imperishable. It's going to last till the end of time. And Satan then allegedly told the Lord in this vision, grant me one century and more power of those who will serve me and I will destroy the church. And our Lord granted him 100 years to give it his best shot. Very similar, very similar to what we see in the book of Job when Satan approaches the throne of God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, you know, I bet you, I bet you I can get him to curse you to your face. Oh, really? You're on. And, and it, it's kind of like a bet. It's MGM bet 365 or something. So the similarities are really interesting. But And this is, of course, when Pope Leo XIII instituted the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel to be prayed at the end of every Mass. And as Monsignor Rossetti notes, if you look at the subsequent century, the hundred years that followed uh, this famous incident, it was particularly brutal, particularly bloody for the church and the world. Two world wars and, and many other wars that happened, untold persecution unleashed against the church. In the 20th century, there were more martyrs in the church than in all the other centuries combined to that point. But yet, the church has not been destroyed. And Monsignor Rossetti make, makes it kind of an interesting point. He, he thinks that because the hundred years are up, and technically the hundred years would have been up in 1984. Ooh, another, another mysterious allusion to 1984. George Orwell didn't write about this, but a lot of what he did write about was, was fairly prescient as well, we have to admit. But uh, it's been more than a hundred years. However, however, we're, we're kind of ballparking it here. Monsignor Rossetti says that now after this 100-year period, the presence of the devil, really, it's not hidden anymore like it used to be. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit about the movie The Usual Suspects. You remember that one? The movie is really interesting because there's a famous line in the movie. It's a great movie. And I'm not spoiling the movie when I tell you this. The greatest line in the movie is this. Kevin Spacey says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. As long as you're not worshiping God, as long as you're not fulfilling your vocation to become a saint, to help other people to become saints, he's got you right where he wants you. It's, he's okay with you being sort of prospered, content, pampered. Everything from an earthly perspective is going well. That's fine. 
as long as you're not doing God's will, he's got you exactly where he wants you. And he's got a lot of different tools in the toolbox. God has more, of course, to get you where you need to be, and he'll even use the thwarted attempts of the enemy to, to, to help you become a saint. But, but nonetheless, I think Monsignor Rossetti's point still stands here, that Satan's tactics have changed after this 100-year period, which kind of started in 1884 with this vision that Pope Leo XIII had. Think about this, and he gives a few examples of this. 300 Catholic churches in the U.S. have been attacked since May of 2020. And this, of course, started during the pandemic period. That has not abated. This seems to be increasing all the time. Hundreds of thousands of people are not even hiding the fact. They're openly claiming to be Wiccans, witches, practitioners of the occult, and blatant Satanists. In fact, as, as you're well aware, there were at least two instances where statues of a demon, essentially, were erected not only in Little Rock, Arkansas, and one of the reasons why uh, Satan worshippers picked that place is because there's also a monument to the Ten Commandments in that same spot. And in Detroit, Michigan, Satanists uh, erected a statue of Baphomet, and you've probably seen this. These statues are being enshrined in public places. So th- this is this is really, really out in the open. Scripture says, for our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that famous passage in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God and how we need to do that. So Monsignor Rossetti says this, in, in spite of all this, we can still be very confident. We can still have our peace. And when he does exorcisms, he says, I, I, I'll hear demons howl and scream when they even look at a crucifix. And he specifically mentions he seems to have had some contact with this demon, Baphomet. When they even look upon a crucifix, when they're sprinkled with holy water, he says, even the most powerful demons are put to flight because they are dust, he says, in the presence of the Son of God. St. Michael the Archangel casts out, along with the other faithful angels, Lucifer, his minions, just as they did at the beginning of time, they'll do so definitively at the end of time. He says, we've got it covered. We've got it covered. And Jesus certainly had it covered. He is the exorcist par excellence. And we see in that scripture reading a great example of how uh, people just didn't get him right. Certainly one of the tactics of the enemy, which we'll discuss in a minute, his playbook is to destroy human life, number one to destroy the family. Abortion is a key tool in his uh, demonic toolbox, as it were. But Mark chapter 3 talks about the unforgivable sin. We'll get into this in just a second. So Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30, it says, The scribes who had come from Jerusalem said of Jesus, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he drives out demons. Summoning them, he, Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. That is the end of him. No one can enter a strong man's house to plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Amen, I say to you, all sins and all blasphemies that people utter will be forgiven them, 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an everlasting sin or an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Okay, powerful reading there. Quite tragic, actually, that the scribes do this. It's really ironic, actually, because they're trying to accuse uh, Jesus of being in league with the devil. But in doing so, in, in saying that he is, they are the ones who are actually in league with the enemy. How about that? So uh, they set a trap for themselves, really. But it's really intriguing what Jesus actually says in response to these accusations. Jesus calls everyone to him and says, How can Satan cast out Satan? (laughs) If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. But Jesus is essentially saying this, Why in the world would Satan cast out Satan? Why, Why would Satan cast out his own demons? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he bust up his own kingdom? And what's also intriguing about this, too, is that there was another document that was kind of out there. It was a bestseller of the time, if you will. It was called the Testament of Moses. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It wasn't, it didn't make it into the Bible. It's not scripture, anything like that. But it is a Jewish writing that was super, super popular at that time. And it had to do with, hey, when is the Messiah finally going to show up? And here's what it says in the Testament of Moses. And by the way, this was written about this time. It was written around 30 AD. So these ideas are very much in the ether as Jesus is beginning his ministry. It says, and this is from chapter 10 of the Testament of Moses, then God's kingdom will appear and then the devil will have an end. And this is exactly what Jesus says here in verse 26 of Mark 3. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided... He cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. He is coming to an end. His end has come. So it's very much echoing that kind of language, that kind of thought that was out there, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to destroy the kingdom of Satan, and he's going to bring about, inaugurate the kingdom of God. So he says, hey, no one can enter, Jesus says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. This is exactly what John the Baptist, by the way, said about Jesus. If you go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 7, it's talking about John, you know, he's super kosher, he's uh, he's eating locusts and wild honey. It does sound delicious, though. Clothed with camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. He's really wearing the garb of, of Old Testament prophets like Elijah. This, is, I mean, he is the last Old Testament prophet. Echoing scripture here, he's by the River Jordan, the scene of deliverance. And John says this, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus shows up. So, Jesus is that stronger man. John says, hey, after me is coming someone who is much mightier than I. And that's why Jesus says, hey, Satan's pretty powerful. Let's let's get that straight. He's a strong man. But I am like Schwarzenegger. You know, I'm like God's commando. He's taken hostages. He's taken people to do his will. He's infested people with demons. But Jesus is going to exercise those demons. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Who's the strong man? The devil. But Jesus is much stronger. He can tie him up like God's commando, free the hostages. 
Jesus takes apart their faulty logic. But he also, he also leaves them with a dire warning, a dire warning. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin or an everlasting sin. For they had said he has an unclean spirit. So this is a very dire warning. This is the unforgivable sin. Jesus is basically telling us, look, if you're saying that my message and my demonstration of the truth of my message, because again, don't, don't forget, his main message is the kingdom of God. This is how, how to get right with God. This is how to come into his kingdom. Oh, and by the way, here's the proof. All the healings and the exorcisms are proof. Jesus says, you take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, how can he say that? Well, here's the proof. I'm going to heal him physically. And if you can believe that I can do that, well, maybe you can believe I can do the other thing that you can't see which is forgive sins. So here, here's the proof. So the exorcisms, the healings are proof of the truth of his message. So if you think, Jesus is basically saying, if you think that my message and my demonstration of power here, if you think that comes from the evil one, that is an unforgivable sin. That's an unforgivable sin. So why is it the unforgivable sin? It's simply this, because if you don't, any, any sin can be forgiven. Any, as Jesus says, any blasphemy can be forgiven, except for this one, why? Because if you don't think that Jesus is who he claims to be, if you don't think that he is the power to forgive sins, then you're not going to go to him for forgiveness. So of course you're not going to be forgiven. You're basically tying your own hands. It's very much like going to confession and just saying, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about this. But in your heart, you have not repented. And that you're essentially tying the hands of Jesus, you know, working through the priest, that he can't raise that hand to bless you and, and to absolve you because you are not repentant. You don't want to, to change. That's the key. Repentance. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus says. You've got to turn around. You've got to do a 180 here. Leave those sins behind and desire to change. Are, are you always going to be able to, you're not going to become a canonizable saint overnight. You might still struggle with these things, but the, the intent has to be, I want to start fresh. And you might have falls in the future because you're weak, but you cannot go in there not repenting, thinking that this is some sort of a magical formula. I just have to say it, doesn't, but I, I am intending fully to go back and commit the same sins. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. But if you don't think that Jesus can even forgive sins, if you don't think it's even possible, you're not going to ask him to forgive your sins. It's a little bit like going to the doctor and you've been told that you have a very serious, deadly heart disease. In fact, you need a heart transplant. But if you say to the surgeon, I, I don't believe you, I don't trust you, you you're going to put me under it, you're going to give me the anesthetic, and then you're going to kill me. You're going to cut my chest open and kill me. You're not going to give me a new heart. You're just going to take the old one out and leave me there to die on the table. Well, if that's what you think, if you really don't trust the doctor, of course you're not going to get that operation and you will die. It's very much like that. If you don't go to Jesus for forgiveness, then you can't receive that forgiveness. So that, that's that's all it really means to make it more simple, this unforgivable sin. But I, I thought it was really intriguing, though. It's, it's all in the context of his exorcisms, his, his great power there. And this is uh, very much what uh, Monsignor Rossetti was talking about with, with respect to uh, the devil, his tactics. And uh, it's something that we need to be aware of. Because the way he's working now is a little bit different than maybe he was working in the past, certainly in the past 100 years. It's out there in the open. We need to know his game plan so that we can counteract it and be, and be smart. Be as wise as serpents, yet as innocent as doves. That's what our Lord wants us to do. 